Hello everybody, welcome back to Witch Fix, that was my very creaky chair, and today we're jumping into film one in the three-part Fear Street series on Netflix. I avoided this for a while just because it was everywhere, and because it was like three movies, I was like, I don't have time to watch three movies, which is ridiculous, I have acres of time. So uh, today I finally watched the first two parts, and tomorrow I'm watching the third part, if all goes well. And so I'm going to review them uh, one by one. I felt like it would be too much to just do one episode on three different films. I'm going to trigger warn for both drug use and mention of suicide. And now we're going to jump straight into Fear Street Part 1, 1994. So what i got to say at the top of this is, this is obviously going to be very spoiler heavy. All of my reviews are incredibly spoiler heavy, especially the film ones. So I just enjoy talking about it sort of like scene by scene, like what's going on. But broadly speaking, um, based on the two films that I have watched today, I really recommend this three-part series. It's very good. I was entertained. Huge amount of, like, witch mentions, although not much, like, actual witchy stuff on screen yet, because a witch is talked about a lot, but not really seen. But there's enough lore there that I'm, I'm interested. My interest is peaked. I think there's a lot to like enjoy if you really love horror movies that are kind of aware of other horror movie tropes and that make comments about the genre you're really gonna like these movies go to netflix and watch them come back and listen to the review with that said we open on a bookstore Ooh. it's at a mall the sunny sides mall i think no the shady side mall i've already fucked up oh no we open on the shady side mall <laughs> um we meet heather don't get attached, she's only here for the opening of the movie. Uh, but she's selling books in a bookstore, so we know this is the 90s. Who buys books in a bookstore anymore? Am I right, guys? Buy my book. Anywho, she gets a call from Ryan, who works in one of the other stores, and he's all like, I'm closing up, the mall's empty, blah, 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 bants. He comes over and is like, jumping out at her because it's a horror movie and he wants to scare her gently before the real scares happen. You've got to ease yourself into it, otherwise you'll just die on the spot. So he ends up, like, offering to give her a lift home and she just has to, like, close up the store. And as he leaves speaking to her, Ryan thinks that he hears someone whisper his name and we see two flies, or possibly more, sort of buzzing around him. And I'm like, oh, he's fucked. So we go back to Heather, she's closing up the bookstore, we see someone like rushing through, like a shadow passing in front of the camera, whooshly wooing, someone's in there with her, oh no! Um, she's like tidying up and doing stuff, and then the masked killer tries to stab her, and they're wearing like a kind of Halloween skeleton costume. Obviously instantly this is reminding me of Scream, uh, I would say that's probably like the biggest reference for this movie. Um, he tries to stab her, stabs the book she's holding, how embarrassing. Uh, then he chases her and she runs to Ryan's store which appears to be some sort of weird combination of head shop, sex shop, novelty shop, it also sells lava lamps. Who is managing this place and why are they stocking the things they are? But as she goes in we see in the window is the skeleton costume. So, the, obviously, you know, skeleton costumes are being sold in Ryan's store. It's not looking good. She calls 911, but then has to, like, run from the phone. And the 911 operator's like, you know what, just to be safe, we're gonna send you some cops. And the guy grabs her and, like, slashes at her, but she hits him with a lava lamp. So, thank God they have those. Uh, and then she, like, finds a bunch of dead people in the food court. So, obviously, the killer came this way. I want to know how she didn't hear this, because she was in the bookshop, she wasn't wearing headphones. And the mall is basically empty at this point, so if someone came up and started stabbing people, like, multiple bodies in this food court, 
you none of them heard screaming she didn't hear them screaming or running or any of that because this guy has to chase this one teenage girl to like four different locations before he actually manages to kill her but the seven other people he killed completely silently like a ninja don't know i'm prepared to see that as like kind of horror movie logic this movie makes me want to make allowances for that sort of thing but anyway, she sees all the bodies, we see this big tree in the centre of the mall, and I'm like, that tree's going to be important, lady, you just mark my words. But then she gets attacked, and as she's being stabbed to death, she, like, claws the mask off of this guy, and wouldn't just know it, it's Ryan under there. He seems to be in some sort of trance, so I'm calling that he's been possessed. And then the cops that she was promised arrive and shoot him dead, um as Heather like bleeds out next to him. So I learned these two people's names for no reason, but now we have a good opener into the story. And we get quite a lot of information over the credits. There's a lot of newspaper clippings and wood cuttings, and we sort of get a credit sequence which shows us things about all three movies. So we start off in the 90s with clippings and stuff about the the mall killings the skeleton killer sheriff nick good who is definitely going to be a character we see more of um talking about that we get some stuff about the high school how they have the mascot the shady side witches and they play against the sunny veil devils which reminded me of sunnydale from buffy which felt kind of like a deliberate nod to me i kind of liked that um we see things about it being like the serial killer capital of America. This sort of thing happens a lot. Different serial killers, different names flashing by. And then we see claims that he was possessed or the killers overall were possessed by a witch. And then we see news clippings about the Camp Nightwing massacre. I'm assuming Camp Nightwing is where Batman sends his little adoptees over the summer. Uh, and then finally we get information about the witch hunts. So basically setting up the, the next two movies as well as this one. We're now introduced to our actual main character, Dina, who is kind of like a grungy 1990s person, <laughs> like embodying all of that nihilism and like dropout, burnout kind of thing. She's writing the letter to someone called Sam being like, fuck you, I wish I never met you, and is having some trouble. So clearly a lot of emotions there. Um, we hear over the news that's playing that Sunny Vale, conversely to Shadyside, is actually one of the nation's safest and wealthiest towns. So it's sort of like the good twin sister to Shadyside. This kind of like inter-town rivalry um, kind of reminded me of Night Vale and Desert Bluffs. Like it was, it was giving me very that, uh, and also kind of reminded me again of like Sunnydale, and also weirdly of like Gotham and Bloodhaven, although I guarantee neither of those places is a nice place to live. But there we go. We're introduced to Dina's little brother, Josh, who's kind of a nerd. He, like, before, like, nerdy shit was cool, seems to be Josh's entire personality. Like, he's uncool because he's on the internet, because he likes, like, Iron Maiden, and, like, online RPing with someone who calls themselves the Queen of Air and Darkness. He's, like someone who would be really mainstream like now and yet like just a few short decades ago he's completely weird so i love josh he's so he's just like a cute little hobbit person he's online talking to this like queen of air and darkness lady uh about um sarah fear whose last name is spelled f-i-e-r so it's kind of like fire 
about how she is this witch known to the town. It's this sort of urban legend slash folklore and people blame her for a lot of bad stuff and that she was like a famous one-handed witch. Uh, so we get like some lore on her fairly early and she's going to be kind of our principal antagonist throughout the series of films. Then we cut to high school and we learn a little bit more about our characters. So Josh has a crush on Kate, who is either in a band or a cheerleader, but is wearing one of those uniforms. He like won't give him the time of day, doesn't even look at him. But she is friends with Dina uh, and also this guy called Simon, who is just a weird stoner and that's basically his entire personality um it's revealed that kate is dealing drugs as well like prescription drugs that she keeps in a shoebox in a vent in the bathroom uh in the girl's bathroom so there's there's some stuff going on here they talk a little bit and dina is very down on the town like she feels like it's cursed like there's all this bad shit that constantly happens there and she's not wrong they're told that in light of you know the massacre there's going to be a pre-game vigil in sunnydale a sunny veil that's gonna happen all the time i'm sorry um and they all have to go so you get this kind of nice moment when they're on the bus and they drive through shady side which is very kind of uh, it looks dead to be honest there's just a lot of like shuttered warehouses and very bland kind of poor looking trading estates and things like that like the kind of places that you would fly over on a plane and then you get into Sunnyvale and it's like huge enormous colonial mansions so there's a huge div divide here and then when you get to the actual vigil you kind of see it again like that Sunnyvale is very preppy and almost kind of 1950s ish like in some of the characters whereas the shady side people are more kind of modern and dare I say it hip. Dina kind of ditches the vigil takes the shoebox of the stuff that she's I guess returning to Sam and like goes through it down a sort of side alley of the stadium whatever the bits are called where the football players come out of she takes a tape out of the box and pockets it because i guess she doesn't want to hand it over and then we meet sam sam is a girl and i did not see that coming so that's bad on me <laughs> doubly bad on me i'm a bad lesbian for my heteronormative views but we're introduced to sam who is apparently ditched dina and moved to sunnyvale so she's kind of crossed sides in this class slash turf war and it's sort of torn their relationship apart as sam and dina kind of argue about this the crowd also begins to fight over you know everything that they have against each other specifically that the sunnyvale people are being very down on sunny side and calling them a town full of murderers which is not historically inaccurate but there you go they all get like pulled apart by the cops and then sent home and then on the bus kate is like we're gonna get them sunnyvale people and then the sunnyvale people including sam drive up behind the bus dressed in the skeleton costumes some without masks obviously so you can see who they are including sam and her new boyfriend peter who is a boy which is uh something dina did not appreciate so Dina, in a, in a fit of rage, decides to, I guess, try and throw this sort of keg-sized cooler full of drink out of the rear of the bus at the car. I was unclear on if she meant to throw the entire cooler, but as she's, like, throwing it out the back of the bus, she gets a nosebleed and is distracted and lets go of the cooler, which hits the car, the car goes off the road and into the forest and crashes, so... 
whoops, the boss falls over because, you know, there's been an accident and we see Sam crawl out of the wreckage of the car. Everyone's fine. Don't worry about it. She's also got a nosebleed and this confused me for a little while, but they do explain it in, I think, the next movie. So it, it will get explained. But she has a nosebleed and she crawls across the ground and then suddenly she has this flash of like the witch or like stuff to do with the witch, a lo load of flies, someone hanging, some woodcut images. It all goes by very quickly, but a flash. The cops then come, all the kids, doesn't matter if they're Sunnyvale or Shadyside, deny what went on. They, they're completely hiding this from the cop who is the sheriff Nick Good from the newspaper clippings. Dina then watches coverage of the mall murders at home and tries to call Sam's hospital room, but Sam's mum yells at her because she wants Dina to leave Sam alone so she can have this amazing new life. The doorbell then rings. No one is there. Classic, classic move. And then really far away, like across the street, there is the skeleton killer. And Dina assumes that this is more Sunnyvale people messing with her. Meanwhile, just down the road, uh, Kate is babysitting, but she's having the two little girls that she's babysitting sort prescription pills into bags for her to sell, which was both hilarious and awful. And I will say it right now, Kate is my favourite character in the movie, just because she's so, like, does not give a shit. And also she does some really good scream work later on, so top screaming from her. She's having them sort these pills and Simon's also come over to sort the laundry of, of the people she's babysitting for. So everyone's doing all her work for her. He has like blood from the car crash still on his t-shirt because he hasn't bothered to change. She's only a couple of houses down from Dina so they phone each other and she like flashes the lights at her to show where she is. And then we hear the sounds of someone breaking in. And she goes out into the living room and finds the skull killer, or the skeleton killer, going through the laundry pile like he's looking for something. And I thought maybe it was something like in the pockets, although I wasn't sure what that would be. But when confronted, he just vanishes. So that's good. He's gone. Uh, but Kate is freaked out, so she dumps the little kids on her neighbour and takes Simon over to Dina so they can like talk about it. And they decide to go to the hospital and have it out with Sam because they think it's Sam and the Sunnyvale people who are trying to like freak them out and it's not cool like it's involving little kids they go there to tell Sam to get her boyfriend to lay off they go there and thanks to Kate's drug dealing connection who is a nurse they manage to get in to see Sam um, but she says she doesn't know anything about what's happening and that Peter has been at the hospital with her and then Peter comes in Dina and Sam start arguing and yelling at each other, and mid-argument, the skeleton killer bursts in and murders Peter, so safe to say the skeleton killer is not Peter. I've poirot this one out for you. So they start screaming and running. They get back to the other three, Josh, Simon, and Kate, who have just been like buying candy from the vending machines, and Josh is kind of making a move on Kate in a very slow and sedate way. The killer chases them, Kate does an excellent scream, they all scatter and lose each other and one group goes to steal an ambulance uh, while Dina and Sam end up hiding under the nurse's station where the dead nurse is. As they're in the process of getting away, um, Dina like manages to unmask the killer and it's Ryan, the dead guy. He's still dead, don't worry about it, but obviously she gets a little bit scared by that. So 
they take the stolen ambulance that they stole because they lost the car keys and they go to the sheriff station to talk to I guess Sheriff Good or whoever else happens to be there. So Josh and Kate stay at the ambulance to chat. Simon goes off to find somewhere to pee against a building and Dina goes into the sheriff's station. They don't believe her because her story is insane. Although you'd think that this is kind of a gripe that I have with the movie. So she shows up and she's like, a load of people tried to kill us at the, the, the hospital. Like someone stabbed us. And you'd think that the police would be like, oh, another serial killing in this town where this regularly happens. Cool, we'll believe you. And although she does say that the killer was dead Ryan, which has obviously not happened before, you know, you could say like, oh, okay, she's just thinking that because they're wearing the same costume or whatever. But, you know, I would definitely send more than one guy to check it out. They send one guy to check it out, and that is the sheriff who goes. Uh, Dina, realising that they're not getting anywhere with the, with the police, heads back out to the ambulance. Meanwhile, Simon hears mysterious and creepy singing. And decides to walk towards it. Because he's a smart boy. Uh, it turns out to be a girl just sitting on the ground singing to herself. And at first I thought this might be the witch. But she's dressed in like more modern clothing. Um, so she slashes his leg with a straight razor. And then crawls after him into the middle of the road. And tries to kill him. But Dina shoots her a bunch and she falls down. Because I mean you would if you got shot a bunch. They all get in the ambulance and run away. They decide to return to the house as like a good base of operations. But while Josh is listening to Simon describe the girl who attacked him, he recognises the description as a girl called Ruby Lane, who murdered a bunch of her friends, her boyfriend, and then killed herself in the 1970s. So another dead killer in addition to Ryan. Um, so they're freaked out by this and want to like find out what's going on. They spread out a bunch of like newspaper clippings, which I think maybe Josh has because he seems obsessed with this stuff. And they talk about there was a serial killer called the Milkman in the 1950s, the Humpty Dumpty Killer in the 1930s. And they mention Camp Nightwing and how Kate's aunt was there when she was uh, like a, a teenager. So we've got some links to the past there. Apparently the first serial killer, and here we get our first look at something that might be relevant in the third movie, it was a pastor who went crazy and started killing kids and cutting out their eyes. Uh, so probably he did something bad. Uh, we'll, we'll see what that was. I mean, bad before he started killing people. I guess something bad enough to get cursed. Josh starts explaining how he thinks this is all to do with Sarah Fear, uh, how the local legend has to be true. Uh, we find out a little bit of her rhyme that she cheated death by cutting off her own hand and while it remains, she maintains her grip on the land. She cannot be gotten rid of. They all agree though that this is really different because it's not just a serial killer after them. Killers are actually coming back from the dead now to pursue them. So what's different? And this is where Sam chimes in and says that she saw the witch. So this is the, the differing factor here. She had this connection with the witch and now she's being hunted. And they quickly work out that although the killer appeared at Dina's house and appeared at Kate's house or the babysitting house that she was at, this is because they had Sam's blood on them. Dina had it on her shoe and Simon had it on his shirt. And the killer seems to be navigating by scent to try and find them. So they're after Sam panics at this point and they're not really sure what to do. 
So they decide to return to the scene of the visions, i.e. the car crash. They go there, they like get Sam to reenact what she did as she crawled out of the car. And they realise that she crawled over the bones of Seraphir, which are partially obscured in a lot of very fluffy, fake-looking red moss. The red moss is something that comes back in other movies, so it just looked really fake and weird. Uh, but they find it and they find the chains around the bones and they formulate this plan that Sarah is annoyed that her body has been disturbed so they need to rebury her bones which were inadvertently uncovered during the crash and that will fix everything and I'm not buying it because it's never that easy but there we go they decide to rebury her uh, Sam who's like still bleeding touches her bloody fingers to the bones and has another vision and realises that this is what caused it last time. She wiped her bloody nose as she got out of the car crash and touched the bones as she crawled and it's that blood on bone connection which caused the visions. Josh hears someone in the woods and wanders off towards it because I guess he's sick of being alive. They put the bones in Peter's jacket uh, which I think Sam was wearing and like shove it in the ground and they're like all better right? And then the camp killer attacks them, like the camp killer from Camp Nightwing, who's basically like Friday the 13th, Jason Voorhees, like a burlap sack over the head and like a lumberjack shirt and wielding an axe. Like they're close cousins. He interrupts the vision that Sam is having by touching the bones and they escape in the ambulance, like run away. And Josh suggests, and Josh suggests, God, that's hard to say. Josh suggests, I'm not drunk, I promise, uh, but he says they need to find the missing hand, that they found the body, but where is this hand that she's meant to have lost? This is kind of the only mention of that we get, but this obviously does feed into later films. Sam says that Sarah wants her, um, and this is when they make the revelation about the clothes, I just mentioned it earlier, because it just made more sense to talk about it then, but they talk about that and they decide, you know, they need to get out of these clothes. The sheriff arrives at the hospital, finds piles of corpses and looks unsurprised and tired. He returns to the police station, does some paperwork, and then walking in the street outside, he finds the blood from Ruby's attack on Simon and also a locket that was ripped off of her neck. So he knows something freaky is going on. The teenagers go to the high school because it has showers and lost and found clothes. They get changed and wash the blood off so that they won't be attacked anymore. Katie comes on to Josh. Uh, Dina and Sam have a heart-to-heart -heart moment and then they get it on as well. And Simon gets himself off in a bathroom nearby. So everyone's all loved up. This is cut short by the sounds of something moving around, maybe outside, maybe inside. And they decide to set a trap using this information that they know the killers are coming for the blood. They drenched the girls' bathroom in accelerant from the cleaning cupboard. And then use um, blood in some water with mops to draw trails to lure the killers to the bathroom. And then they're going to set them on fire. Uh, they hide Sam in one of the cubicles in the bathroom and... The killers arrive, they go in, it's Ruby, the camp killer, and the skeleton killer. They all go in the bathroom, they lock them in. Sam climbs out of the vent that we saw the drugs being hidden earlier. They set the bathroom on fire. Job done, we're safe. Except we're not, because there's still quite a lot of the movie left. Uh, they burn the bathroom and then put it out with fire extinguishers, which is very community-minded of them. I salute them. 
Um, and when they go in, everything is like reduced to sort of black goo and, and globs. But they start to reform into the killers and they realise that they can't be stopped. Like they already shot one and she came back. They burnt these guys down to like rendered goo and they're coming back again. So they run away and hide in a science lab. And then Katie says they should hand Sam over because the killers want Sam. They don't want the rest of them. This is how it has to be. Sam agrees to sacrifice herself for the good of the masses and gratifyingly quickly, Dina is subdued by the others so that Sam can walk outside to her death. Like, they don't make a meal out of this, it's over fairly, you know, in good time. The killers then begin to converge on Sam. They're not really in a hurry, they just walk towards her at a leisurely, creepy pace. Josh is going through his, like, clippings, frantically looking for a way to not have sam die and then he realizes something and they all get together and pull sam back into the room before she can be murdered and according to the newspaper clippings that josh has unearthed someone called c berman they just have like the first initial was at camp nightwing and survived the attack and just like sam she saw the witch like she's quoted in the article saying i saw the witch but she's not dead and they want to know how that happened. So they look up a phone book, which is at the high school in the room they're in, and call her, but they get no answer. So they leave a voicemail message, which I found so funny. Just like, you're just standing there like, uh, hello, it's me, gives full name. We're being chased by psycho killers and you think we can help us, but uh, please call back. Bye. It's It just tickled me a little bit. Uh, then Sam reads the rest of the article and realises that C. Berman died at Camp Nightwing, but was revived. And she recalls part of the rhyme that says, the witch will pursue you until you are dead. So reasons out that if she dies, even if it's just temporary, the witch will stop chasing her, the killers will go away. Solid plan. So they escape in the ambulance and they head to the grocery store, the best place to die. We see the sheriff approach a sort of rundown looking house and slide a note under the door that says, it's happening again. So I'm guessing that this was to see Berman and later on this is revealed to be correct. They arrive at the grocery store. Uh, this is where Simon works, which I guess is why they're there. And they're there to basically duplicate something that was mentioned offhand when it was revealed that Katie was a drug dealer, which is that Simon's older or younger, I forget, his brother overdosed and had to be resuscitated. So they plan to recreate the drugs that he took and then shoot Sam up with a bunch of EpiPens to bring her back from the dead. This is a plan with so many holes in it and it doesn't work. So called it. Basically they give her three piles of pills and say, take the first two piles, then wait five minutes, then take the third pile, then you'll die and then we'll bring you back. So they've put a clock on this thing and that can only mean things are about to get a little bit hairy. So the others all put X's of her blood on them and run around to create decoys, essentially. And Simon tells Josh something very sweet, which is that Kate doesn't like anybody. She's mean and kind of uppity and desperate to get out of the town by being Little Miss Perfect. So if she sees something in Josh, it must be there and he needs to believe in himself. This was a lovely moment. It really brought me around to Simon for the time that he has left. Anywho, Dina and Sam have another relationship talk and then Sam takes the pills and Dina starts counting to five minutes. 
then the skeleton attacks uh, and attacks Kate and she's like having to fight him off with a spray flamethrower while Dina and Sam get away but they've had to leave the pills behind everything's going to pot he then puts Kate through the bread slicing machine and her death was so sudden and I think it's because like no one from the core group had really died it had just been like nurses and side characters and now we were in the thick of it like people that we'd grown to like care about or know about like I cared about Kate and I cared about Simon and like, all the other like named main characters because I'd seen more of them and I think it was smart to hold back on killing them until we'd like had these moments where we liked them or were invested in them but she gets sliced in the bread slicer and it's disgusting but also great it looks so real genuinely worried if they killed this actress we see Simon being chased by Ruby uh, with her straight razor again and then the camp killer chasing Josh so everyone's being pursued. Dina decides there's just no time to take the extra tablets, uh, frees a lobster from the lobster tank and then proceeds to drown Sam in it. So that's unfortunate. Josh stumbles upon Kate's, you know, sliced body and he turns like simon also comes up next to him and sees it and as he turns to simon simon gets an axe in the head from the camp killer so he's dead this is just like two gunshots to the face kate and simon no they were so young then we see sam being drowned and finally finally the bitch dies and the killers just vanish like job done she's dead let's all go down to the hell bar and have a couple of beers before the next person touches the witch's bones and we have to go back to work josh runs for the epipens the floor is very wet and slippery like this isn't going well they give her like 20 epipens before they even start doing cpr and to be honest while josh is getting the epipens dean is just sitting there with sam's body and i was like why aren't you doing cpr start doing cpr now like tip the water out of her which you never see them do in films um and then give her the EpiPens, but no, they do it this way around. But miraculously, Sam wakes up and she's fine. We then cut to everyone being interviewed by the cops, because obviously. And they lie again and refuse to say anything. And the sheriff is like, you know, they're going to blame Kate and Simon because they were like the drug dealers, the stoners, the, the mess ups. They're going to get the blame for this. And Dina's like, yeah, they will. But no one's going to believe me if I tell the truth. So there's no point. Josh gives a paperclip to someone who I, I probably was meant to recognise from earlier. I think he was maybe in the opening scene at the mall, but he's been arrested since. But he gives him a paperclip to like pick his handcuffs and then he gives Josh a business card, which I'm, I'm fairly certain is probably going to come into play later, but we'll see. They leave the station, they go home, um, Sam and Dina are together again they're not denying that they're in love even though Sam's mom is not happy Dina comes over that night they listen to the mixtape that Dina made Sam and then took back from her earlier it's all very cute and obviously it can't last the phone rings and it's the returned phone call from the girl who survived the camp which was like a really nice like touch I liked that it was coming back and it wasn't like forgotten about everything in this movie seems kind of really well planned out and really well thought through there's nothing that just gets kind of tossed to the side and left if something's mentioned it's important which can be a good thing and a bad thing because it means that you don't really have a lot of red herrings but i liked this 
She tells the camp girl quite tersely, you know, thanks for calling back, but we managed without you, it's over. And the camp girl says, it's never over, you can't stop the witch because she makes all the rules. And if she wants you dead, you're going to end up dead one way or another. And then we see something interesting, a ritual altar carved with like symbols and there's candles and then in the rocks around it are carved the names of the killers like ruby ryan all, all the killers from history past and then we see sam's name at the end uh, and then sam walks up to dina and stabs her because she has now been possessed i would have been very upset if that is where the film had ended it's not, don't worry. Josh is online downstairs in the basement, can't hear what's going on upstairs, but he defends Simon and Kate to the Queen of Air and Darkness and says, you know, they weren't just these psycho killers, they weren't drug addicts who went off the deep end. They were good people and Simon was funny and kind and Kate was really nice and, you know, all the rest of it. And then Dina appears behind him and takes him upstairs and shows him that she has subdued Sam and tied her up with the phone cord, which is again quite a 90s thing, like a cordless phone would not have been helpful in this situation. And she says, we have to get Sam back, like we have to fix this. And that's basically where the movie ends and it shows you a little sort of snippet of the next one, which I'm not going to talk about because that's for the next video um but that's basically where we leave this one and i really liked this as just a, a first movie it introduced some interesting characters and then murdered them and we have other characters but there's snippets of lore i'm getting the sense there's going to be a twist about the witch and who is actually responsible for this curse which we've got to unravel why is sunnyvale so so good and shadyside so so bad because if Shadyside is cursed, that's one thing, but Sunnyvale is too good to be normal. Like, they have all these mansions and stuff. It's not just like a normal town next to a shit town. It's a really prosperous town that's like the nation's leading, crime-free, wealthiest town. And it feels very much like Shadyside may have been sacrificed for the greater good of this town. And it might have something to do with this pastor and they're going to have like descendants in this town and things like that. Also, when I got to the end of it, I was like, oh, OK, so the sheriff is of the right age where he's going to be around in the 1980s movie. So we're going to see him as he's like younger. We're going to see characters related to other characters. This is a more uncomplicated story. I feel like it's going to get a lot more complicated later on. But it was a really good opener, and although the witch isn't in it, she's mentioned quite a lot and has a lot of lore. It's not just people running around going, hide from the witch, the witch is coming, the witch did this. We get actual stories about her, locations that are important to her, like her, her body is discovered. We get to see little snippets of her via the like woodcuts and visions. So she is very much present, even if the actual villainy is being done by your garden variety kind of crazy Halloween style serial killers. So I enjoyed this film muchly and I'm now going to record my review for the second movie and we'll see what happens when I get into the third one tomorrow. In the meantime if you've enjoyed this review do remember to leave a like on the YouTube version Everyone else says that, so it must be important. And be sure to recommend any other movies that you'd like me to watch. And in the meantime, I'll see you in the next one. Bye!